0: Gold, ready to make a comeback? We'll talk about it. Everything's still awesome. New market highs. Everybody's happy. Dogecoin is up 500% in a week. Roaring Kitty is about to make millions in his GameStop options. Nick, did you hear about the shooting? A lot to get into this week. This is episode 113 of Bizarro World. I am your host, Gerardo Del Real along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. Nick, first and foremost, are you down with VPP? Uh,
1: you know I am, and also ESG to some extent. I'm sure we'll talk about it, and um, why not keep the theme going? I'm down with roaring Kitty, too, though I don't know exactly what it is. I'm sure you'll tell me.
0: How are <laughs> like you? It? I I am well, Um, we talked a bit off air. Listen, I I tell you, there's a lot to get to this week, Um, a lot of police fuckery. So I'm going to give everyone listening a heads up. If you are here this week listening to the podcast for the market commentary, I will do my very best to keep that um, to the first 10, 15, 20 minutes of the show. Afterwards, there's a lot of officers gone wild. Um, this week, there are shootings all over America. Um, we're going to do a, a, a dive into everything that's going on. Um, but before we get to that, to answer your question, I am personally well, um, and things are good. You know, let's let's get into the markets. Gold closed up at seventeen sixty six. Obviously, a great move forward after dipping to that sixteen eighty level right at the end of March, beginning of April. I know that we're not convinced that gold is entirely out of the water, but man, was it sure nice to see it correlate the way it has to real rates, right? Real yields. And I think that, you know, if you just superimpose a chart of the 10 year and you put the gold price up, it's clear what's going on and it's clear indicator um, moving forward. And it has been for months, as we've been telling you. Any thoughts on that, Nick? I did
1: that exact chart this week in uh Family Office Advantage the 10 year yield uh, against gold because the the yield was was falling this week which is uh weird right because people were uh uh you know fleeing to the safety of bonds which is weird because you have this sort of good retail print and the reopening trade is on and everybody's getting vaccinated and the feds balance sheet is expanding and the stock markets are at record highs and all that's great but you know for uh, a day or two this uh, week rates uh were going the the wrong uh, the direction they hadn't been recently you know rates were going up recently and they started going down fast we'll see if they catch themselves. Uh, like you say, but gold acted exactly like gold should have acted when, um, you know, rates are going down and it had itself a a couple of uh, good days. I'm not sure it's the uh, end, like you say, of, of, you know, uh, this cycle, let's call it. But um, it feels good, exactly, like you say, for sure.
0: Are are you vaxxed and waxed, Nick? That's that's the new hot thing.
1: (laughs) Oh, man, I took Gerardo, so... You know, uh, I tried to identify the trends, and I was telling you months ago about the bikini wax searches, right? (laughs) As as an indicator of uh, the coming reopening, and so uh, the
0: coming reopening. (laughs)
1: Finger on the pulse, as it were. Oh, Mr. Hodge, the you vax- are a scholar and a gentleman. <laughs> Vaxed, yes. Waxed, no.
0: I don't know why you put up with me every week, but I'm glad you do because it's very therapeutic on my end. Um, listen, silver looked good as well. Closed right below the 26 level, closed at 2592. Good run for silver as well, but we gotta talk copper. I mean, you know, there's a lot of copper juniors, specifically in Peru, and we'll talk about that here in a bit. That are being given away. Copper had itself a heck of a week, right? Um, you know, it touched lows of 398, four bucks here earlier this month. And here we are mid-month, and it closed at 420. Mr. Musk would be proud. Um, thoughts on the copper space? Could be 420 on 420,
1: Gerardo, coming right up here. And um no, well, you separate them out. So I would say the same thing about silver and that I see, you know, people getting excited, heading back towards thirty, people calling for it to break out. But I would put it with gold and I would separate copper out for um a lot of reasons. I mean, infrastructure stimulus reasons, uh, real future shortage reasons, electrification of of everything reasons. And I think it it speaks more to the, you know, the economic growth that the market sees um whereas the the precious metals are something different and i think that's why uh copper is doing well so you have all those fundamental reasons and then plus you have um the the whole uh inflation thing right which um is just like a secondary driver um you know called commodities which are you can argue about them krugman would love to tell you it's not you know journalists would love to tell you it's not inflation that these are you know blips in, in prices but the uh, <laughs> uh, to, to call them blips is, is something incredible when you, you look at the sheer rise in percentage terms of uh, copper and, you know, uh, it sounds like a broken record lumber. And um, I know we're going to get to it, but Bitcoin and Dogecoin and really just pick it, right?
0: Can we talk about Dogecoin? Uh, we'll, we'll come back to Copper Plays here in a bit, specifically the Peruvian um, plays, the, the the plays that have Peruvian exposure, very consequential elections um, there that I think uh, are something to keep an eye on. Uh, you took some action this week. We'll talk about that in a bit. But we have to talk Dogecoin. I mean, what in the actual you-know-what, Nick? Uh, I'm trying to watch my language because it's going to get heavy later on in this podcast. But- it's up 111% today. It's up 444% for the week. Um, You know, this is a a joke that Elon Musk at, I think five cents or six cents was saying, you know, love the Doge and doing his usual marketing genius stuff that he does. This thing's up at 36 cents right now. And I mean, you know, there's starting to be stories of people that put 10,000 into this thing and, you know, are just banking and killing it. Right. And meanwhile, gold companies that have estimated revenues this year of over $100 million are trading at an $80 million market cap. It's just absolute madness out there. Right. Bitcoin is at $62,000. Touch $64,000. Coinbase had its IPO. Um, Ethereum's at twenty four fifty five. dollars I mean, sustainable? Is there, will there be a point where you know, the, 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 because right now everything's being bought up. Will there be a point where people come to their senses and start having an actual conversation and dialogue about which has value and which does not I mean, we talked privately and the market cap of Dogecoin right now is more than the entire market cap of the entire uranium sector. It's madness. It is bizarro world, um, a lot there. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Nick, because I can't figure it out. I'm not smart enough um, to be a, a crypto baller.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm not sure that um, any of us are right. It's a it's a brand new world, and hey, you're right that it's it's hard to identify value. And we're at the stage in this market where um, you know it's sort of in that discovery uh, of value phase, that price discovery phase, because, you know, Coinbase IPO, as you just said, it, you know, soared to over a hundred billion dollar uh, market cap when it came out trading. And then you just cited the the market cap of one cryptocurrency, a joke cryptocurrency at that Dogecoin is more than the entire market cap uh, of the uranium sector, which uh, provides the fuel for 10 to 20 percent of global electricity. And uh, the largest part of uh, <laughs> clean, baseload, carbon-free uh, electricity, yet it's uh, smaller than uh, Dogecoin. And that's why it's a, a bizarre world. And of course, we think the value in, in uranium will be recognized, but um, that's not to say that the value of a Dogecoin isn't correct, right? I mean... Um, we've talked for months about NFTs and people and, and what these paintings and uh, <laughs> trading cards are, are going for. And we talked recently about the, the property sales in the, in the metaverse right on in, in Decentraland. And I was telling you that, you know, people were spending hundreds of thousands of dollar, dollars on digital parcels of uh, <laughs> land. And so far be it for me to say, you know uh, if the value of, of, these assets is right and wrong, but uh, for the crypto side anyway. But I would say that um, on the uranium side, at least, it's under, you can make a great case that it's uh, undervalued. And you're right. I mean, I got, you know, people texted me about how much money they made in uh, Ethereum and and Dogecoin. And it's great to see uh, people make money. And I would have to say, I still don't think that it's, um you know uh, one or the other when it comes to to crypto and gold i see a lot of yep. um ardent gold bugs still having their um panties in a bunch about you know why these things are valued like they are you know crypto is worthless and that it's de- taking away or detracting from gold but you know i don't think it's a it's it's the case i these people that are texting me Saying and they're making money on Ethereum and, and, and other cryptocurrencies, uh, they're not people that own gold. I mean, they're, they're younger than, than I am. They're in their, their 20s and, and, and early 30s. It's not like they sold their gold to buy their Dogecoin, right? I don't think it's taking away from it. I just think it's, a, it's another asset class. And with so much money uh, in the system... There's, uh, there's room for it. And with, uh, you know, uh, everything online and and everyone in their homes for the past few, well, fuck, year now, um, you know, they've had their eyeballs on, uh, well, armchair trading and day trading and and cryptocurrencies. So I'm starting to ramble on, but uh, I guess that's what I would have to Uh, say about dogecoin but while we're on it i I should probably just go ahead and tell you about the crypto voxels if you want to hear about
0: them (laughs) i would love to hear about the crypto voxels i know you would i woke up this morning saying who's gonna tell me about the crypto voxels
1: well so crypto voxels (laughs) is one of the uh virtual spaces uh where you can buy land in the metaverse it's like a shared <laughs> it's, like, it's a shared space there's decentral land which we've talked about yes. there's somnium space and there's crypto voxels and all I'm quoting from the article now all of these structures were recently constructed in the metaverse a galaxy of shared virtual spaces so this is where people are buying uh the digital land uh, which I've told you about and so Um, This article, as of this week, it says in Decentraland in the past 30 (laughs) days, um, they've sold over 200,000 U.S. dollars uh, worth of um, pre-designed homes. So, okay. So now you're hiring digital architects who are real people, video game or software (laughs) designers. To design your right. call your property, your house, and your your car, and your the aesthetics of your virtual virtual property in the metaverse, and you're paying them real dollars to design this, right? Uh, so, j-
0: just again, I want to make sure I am understanding this correct. A real person with real qualifications is getting paid real money to design me a fake virtual house.
1: According to this article, it says an artist recently sold a pre-designed virtual home that can be uploaded to the metaverse for five hundred thousand U.S. dollars worth of crypto. You can buy a real brick and mortar home uh, with a a deeded property for half a million U.S. dollars in many cities across uh, the world, two in most or more. Isn't that crazy, Gerardo? And so here this is the punchline. There's a property dispute already because (laughs) (laughs) this is the punchline. One guy built a German monastery in his land on Metaverse in in the Metaverse, and then this other guy got the parcel next to him and put a rancher on it. But (laughs) But then he got a barn and some and some and some virtual animals. And now the guy that owns the monastery is pissed that there's virtual <laughs> barn animals next to his monastery. I'm not making it up to
0: I'm not making it the fuck up. Uh, look, let, let, let's keep it going. Um, let's, it's, it's, it's wild out there. Everybody. It is absolute madness. Um, you asked about roaring kitty, roaring kitty is a gentleman by the name of Keith Gill, who on his Reddit profile goes by the Reddit name Roaring Kitty. And this is the gentleman that's famous for inspiring the GameStop short squeeze. And so his call options that he bought in the beginning of this year will expire on Friday. Do you know how much he's going to net from those call options that he made, that he bought early this year?
1: It's a total stab in the dark, $60
0: Well... Uh, I I don't blame you for believing that it could be sixty million, but it's actually a humble seven million, Nick. a humble seven million. Um, meanwhile, in New Jersey, there is a deli. I
1: saw this it's insane.
0: That is doing thirty five thousand in sales. I immediately wanted our resource stock digest and digest publishing to to make two separate spacs and go public. After I read this, by the way, we'd be billionaires. But so. A single New Jersey deli is doing $35,000 in sales and it's valued at $100 million in the stock market. Hometown International with ticker symbol H-W-I-N owns a single deli in rural New Jersey and reached a market cap of $113 million recently.
1: Hey, provolone or no?
0: No. <laughs> The largest shareholder, you're going to love this, is also the CEO, CFO, treasurer, and director who happens to be the wrestling coach of the high school next door to the deli. Love it. I can't make any of this up um the company sold two and a half million shares last year it has 60 total shareholders so when i read that i was like good on the wrestling
1: coach capitalizing on the bull market selling shares at high prices like who is this guy i want to know more
0: (laughs) i I don't know what there is to tell like
1: paulie or something
0: it's probably Pauly, Uncle Pauly, right? Who doesn't have to move very fast because he doesn't have to move for anybody, right? I mean, it's, um, I don't know. I don't know what's going on out there. I do know this. I do know this. Bringing it back to the markets and the copper plays in Peru. There is either going to be an opportunity in copper gold plays in Peru in the next month and a half or two. And, and the opportunity is bearing itself out whether or not it actually is an opportunity that's the part that is uh, to be announced um because they have an election uh proceeding right now that is that is pretty much a person that says they will nationalize um as much as they can nationalize right including mines which is obviously not good for mines um and then you got the other side which 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 will not and so um I know you took some profits on a company we both like, a company we both own, a company that we're very supportive of. um and and I thought it was prudent. Uh, I'd love to hear what you did, why you did it, and and your your thoughts. and then, you know we'll we'll put some names out there. and I'm gonna keep my thoughts as to how I'm playing it to myself because I plan on writing something for paying subscribers on that. But I will give, you know we'll talk about the list of names that have exposure that I think are quality, quality speculations. Um, and we'll go from there.
1: Well, the company was Chicana Copper, and it's pretty straightforward. And it's a it's actually a really good podcast topic because it sheds light into, you know, why we do things we do. And um, so um, I took half profits on the Chicana Copper, which um, you're allowed to do. <laughs> First of all, I say all the time, you're allowed to sell stock and still be supportive of the company, especially when, you know, you were buying it when no one else was buying it, right? If you... Mm -hmm. Uh, have money to buy it at 18 cents, which we did when no one wanted copper, when it wasn't at 10 year highs, then, you know, you can sell some when it's uh, at 45 cents, even though you probably should have sold some when it was closer to 60 cents. Um, But anyway, uh, the reason we did that is um, exactly as you say, and I'm no uh, Peru expert. I'm no, certainly no Peruvian political expert, but headlines are headlines and sentiment is sentiment and trend are trends, right? And so Um, As you say, there's a far left activist, Pedro Castillo, uh, a high school teacher, if if I remember correctly, that, yeah, has a chance to uh, win this runoff election, right? And that's it. He he has a chance to win. So like you say, that's the opportunity. Um, I don't know if he's going to win. Um, Some people think he's got a chance. And so that's why um, the exposure to Peru is, that's why we're talking about this, right, has come into question. And so Anyway, like you said, prudent. We were up 160%. If we can sell half, um, even if it goes to zero, I mean, you know the drill, right? We more than made our, our money back, and that's a win still. So um, that's why we did it, and and uh, I think it's it's smart to do, and um, then you have cash. You can buy it back uh, lower, and uh, if not, then you pat yourself on the back for uh, buying it at 18 cents and, and selling it at 45
0: And let's be absolutely clear. The process in Peru is an absolute shit show. Um, There were 18 candidates on the ballot um, for the first round's Castillo's victory, which came as a surprise. Um, You know, the person that came second place came in second place. Um, The person that's going head to head with him in the second round in June. um, That was as big a surprise. It was... Um, the right wing daughter of imprisoned former president Alberto Fujimori, who, you know, his daughter appears to have edged out her closest opponents. And I think, you know, it it clearly sets the stage for what can only be described as a far left option versus a very far right option. And, you know, we're seeing it all across Latin America. We're seeing it here in the U S where like the minority, the extremist minority Each partition, um, you know, more than 80% of Peruvians voted for someone other than Castillo in the first round. And yet Castillo advances to the second round, right? Um, same goes for Miss Fujimori, more than 80% of people voted for someone other than her. Uh, but because of the amount of people on the ballot, uh, and the way that the votes were spread out, this is what, um, this is what we have. And so again, it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. It's um, there's there, there's a lot there. And I definitely am not an expert in in Peruvian politics or Peru in general. But this is this is this is going to be an interesting, interesting election to say the least. Um let's get to some of the names that are exposed to Peru um in, in pretty consequential ways, right? And so we talked Chicana Copper, um, and Metals, which I'm a shareholder of, as you are. Um, they're onto a basin scale play. You know, we talked uh, Recon Africa, which is I, I I said and say I think it's going to be an analog to Hannon um, in the in 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 the oil space, and Hannon of course being in the copper silver, and I think soon gold space. But you know, Recon Africa had a, a an entire oil basin, and they just started drilling, and they found some gas, and they found some oil, and that company went from twenty cents to I think seven fifty is about where it closed today, and I think that we're going to see. You know, if the drill bit and Mother Nature cooperates with Hannon, they have an entire basin of potential deposits. And I can easily see, you know, a 45 cent company right now becoming a a $10 company um, sometime next year if the drill bit cooperates. But again, that's going to mean nothing if everything is nationalized. Now, let's let let's be logical here they're going to start with the producing minds. And so I think that bodes well for exploration, right? But again, be absolutely clear. There is absolutely some risk there. It is risk that I personally am willing to take with the names that I am comfortable with. Um, I've spoken to CEOs of every company I have exposure to, all which say they believe that ultimately it'll work itself out in, you know, in, in, in true Peruvian fashion, which is volatile. But Um, you know, they're also CEOs of companies in Peru, so they have to talk to your book and I don't blame them for doing so. Let's see how it shakes out. Well, yeah, and it's
1: case by case. And I I would have to reiterate that, um, again, when you're buying, when no one's looking, you have the ability to make decisions on an individual basis. You don't have to quote unquote sell Peru, right? Because at the same time, I'm selling half of my Chicana, I'm exercising, uh you know warrants in in Hannon and that's because of uh you know the prices and and that you know I was able to get myself and, and subscribers in that and so and do I think it's the end of the world uh for peru we'll we'll wait and see, but have I gotten myself uh in some of these companies cheap enough that I can hedge that risk even to some extent you know even to be in the money on my warrants if if Hannon gets cut in half yes.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, what else are you watching in the space, Nick? I see uranium had, you know, just a just a, a week of, of of stability. I call it, you know, a, a, a good pause before the next run up. Uh, mines are coming back online. Companies are 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 you know raising large sums of capital to buy physical uranium to keep it um, in their inventory to sell it at higher prices. Excuse me, true buy low, sell high mentality, which I love. Um but what do you think you think this uh, little pause in, you know the straight up um <laughs> movement that we've had in the past couple of weeks is healthy
1: in uranium specifically i mean yeah nothing goes straight up it, the spot price of uranium in fact has gone back below $30 uh, a pound so that probably has done something to temper the uh, euphoria in uranium but um it seems uh, healthy the the stocks seem healthy. the interest in the in the sector seems healthy and then um broadly more broadly, you're starting to see uh support, right? um it got a nod, nuclear got a nod in you know the infrastructure uh bill. Uh, we're starting to see I believe it was the energy secretary specifically mentioned uh, support for uh, small modular reactors and so. Uh, We're starting to see real like political backing behind it as well. And that's on the Democratic side, which we haven't seen in a long time. We, of course, know about the Section 232 and the uh, uranium reserve that's coming. But that's all just specific to uranium. I think across this clean tech board is where I'm going to take the conversation, because if you look at. Uh, lithium carbonate prices and if you look at sputamine prices and if you look at uranium or uh, lithium stocks like look at oracobre for example Mm. um uh, which i have shares of from advantage lithium so um you know the clean tech space in general is doing very well if i look at um battery stocks or i look at electric vehicle stocks uh all continuing to do well. And so now I'm going to launch into my ESG and VPP conversation. So I hope that's where you wanted me to go because... Exactly
0: where I wanted you to go. Um,
1: we saw the launching of an ETF the other week from BlackRock 2, in fact, that saw some of the biggest inflows ever uh, into ETFs and their uh, ESG funds. And uh, ESG has been around for a bit now. Um, I'm not sure why we decided to call it ESG. It stands for environmental, social, and uh, corporate governance. But you know that's a term that has just really sort of been invented in the in the past couple of years. When I first started investing in the clean tech space, which was nearly 15 years ago now, it was always called like um, triple bottom line investing, right? Where you know you do good for yourself and and the shareholders and uh, the environment, right? And so the ESG thing is, is relatively new. But anyway, um, it's all the rage now as evidenced by record fund inflows to funds that are created to cater to people who want to invest in uh, ESG. And so the problem with that is, um, as is often the problem with themed ETFs, is that buying these BlackRock black funds doesn't really get you uh, pure play ESG companies, right? It holds a, They hold a basket of Uh, for the most part, tech companies that may or may not have some corporate initiatives that dedicated to the environment and and good uh, social and corporate governance. So anyway, um, I guess what I wanted to say is that if you're interested in uh, that sort of investing, uh, ESG investing, clean tech investing, uh, renewable uh, energy investing, investing in things that are clean and sustainable and good for the people of uh, the world and the environment that we live in—you can do so by picking uh, individual stocks. And it's something that I actually, you know, started my career on all those years ago, was picking individual uh, clean tech stocks and back when it was uh you know the chinese solar stocks and i say this all the time they used to be able to turn to the back page of the wall street journal and it would be like Yingli solar and JA solar were like the highest uh, volume traders of the day and so i've seen the cycle before and i have a, a decent idea of what to look out for and so um i've evaluated a lot of the sectors right solar wind geothermal wave um, energy efficiency smart grid all this all the components right and what's emerging it seems to be is uh virtual power plants as one of the best solutions because we've known for a long time and and this phrase has been around for a decade as well that it's not like a silver bullet solution it's a all of the above approach or a buckshot approach right where you need all the things, all the different sources of power, all the clean sources of power, uh, the smart grid to tie them together, uh, the batteries uh, to store them on and the technology to uh, link it all together and distribute it uh, on an as needed basis, even though it's a, a non-centralized uh, system. And so all that is 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 here right now. And um, We're going to be talking about that more and more, I can assure you, over the coming weeks in these podcasts and also (laughs) writing about it uh, more and more uh, on Daily Profit Cycle because the companies, uh, and there's not just one, although I'll be highlighting one here soon enough, there's many that are involved. You know, Tesla, for example, has uh, built a virtual power plant in Australia. And uh, Elon, you talk about, you know, Elon being able to sell anything and He says that the virtual power plant opportunity is bigger than the electric vehicle opportunity, and so mm. um, uh, just something to take a look at there as as ESG makes headlines, as the uh, Biden administration gets behind it, and as that seems as that trend seems to be firmly intact.
0: I'm looking forward to you sharing your most recent idea. Um, I believe that happens early next week and we will put a link up for anybody that is interested. Um, any more market commentary on your end, Nick? I mean, new market highs. What is there to say? Everything is awesome. Things are, you know, it's, uh, it's good times for Roaring Kitty. It's good time for Dogecoin holders, diamond hands. Um, <laughs> things are good all the way around, right?
1: That's it. Um, I was going to rant about Verizon, but I'm I'm happy to talk to, to get right into the police and the shootings if you'd like.
0: Nah, let let let, let let's talk Verizon a little bit. Give my voice a bit of a rest.
1: Well, I'll keep going. Then <laughs> I just want to rant because <laughs> we call this our therapy session, and yeah, you know, Verizon to me is uh, God. These motherfuckers—they're turning into Comcast, right? You remember how everybody just yep. hate Comcast. And Verizon for a while was good. It's just like they were the the good network. It was fast. Um, But lately just seems to be going downhill and uh, from a customer service basis. And I would add also one of those companies that uh, does their very best to pay the very little in taxes. And for a period after 2008, in fact, had like a negative uh, tax Mm. rate. But anyway, um, I might have talked about it certainly have tweeted about spam calls in the past and how distracting they are, but they've been getting really, really bad to the extent that, um, you know, I get them starting at 7am, sometimes three an hour um, or more for multiple hours a day. And then I get like spam texts from uh, random uh, email addresses. So they're texts that come through from an email address. And so, uh, I started tweeting at Verizon about this cause it pisses me off, man. You, you know, you gotta look at your phone. I stopped answering basically any number that I don't know. And so it's just distracting with your phone vibrating all the time when you don't know if it's a call you got to answer or not. So I hit up Verizon on Twitter and they say, <laughs> there's a, uh, uh, app. You can download, uh, a spam app. And I'm like, all right, well, great. Let me download the spam app, which I do. It's a spam filter. Um, And you can program it. There's like different sensitivities. Um, Do you want to allow international calls? There's all sorts of little toggle things. And I set it up pretty strict. And you can also report numbers. Um, if they're spam and they don't get blocked. Well, this thing doesn't fucking block anything. Like all the spam is still coming through. And so now I spend more time with the spam calls because now I want to report every fucking number is spam into this app. So I'm like, <laughs> copy the number from my recent calls. I like go to the app and paste it in there. Report, report, report. Like, fuck you. And you know, of course, of course, of course there's a paid version of the app, right? Which I can only imagine stops. More of the spam calls, probably taking the numbers that I'm reporting for free and using it in the paid app. And all that to say, fuck you, Verizon, because I know you know which numbers are spam because you control the network. I don't want to hear about your fucking 5G communications and how cutting edge you are. Stop the fucking
0: spam calls. Oh, God. And that is the perfect segue for my fuck yous of the podcast. This, folks, is the part. Where if you are a person that just has opinions based on your own way of thinking or you think in terms of narratives and not facts, you probably want to turn it off. And if you have kids around or people that are sensitive to foul language, you probably also, again, want to turn it off if you are at work and you have headphones that aren't very, uh, let's say, quiet, you may want to turn it off. There. We got that out of the way. It is getting very fucking hard, Nick, to keep up with the fuckery that police departments across America are are committing. I mean, I don't know where to start. We've had I don't know whether to start with the 11 mass shootings that we've had in 2021. You know, a clear indicator that America is back and the vaccination rollout is working because people are clearly ready to go back out. The latest one, I wrote about one earlier this week in my notes. And sure enough, last night, there's eight more people dead at a FedEx shooting in Indianapolis. So I don't know whether to start with that or to start with all of the police shootings And the fucking cover-ups that are going with it, because it's getting really, really, really bold on the police department side. I mean, I don't know what's worse. The body cam footage that wasn't activated in Baltimore, Maryland, where Peyton Ham, a 16-year-old boy, was killed by a Maryland state police trooper. This kid was an honor student. Parents says he loved cooking. Um uh, you know, of course the family's gonna say the kid was a delight. Um apparently he was cause he's 16. He had an airsoft gun and a knife, and supposedly the cops pulled up, a la Tamir Rice, and he pointed the replica toy gun at the trooper, is what the trooper says. And this is important because I no fucking longer believe the troopers. Because every time I try to give these assholes the benefit of the doubt, I am proven wrong. So when the trooper says that the 16-year-old honor student pointed a replica toy gun at the officer, I frankly do not believe him. And I do not believe him or her because the officer chose not to activate the body cam footage. As the week progresses, I'm made aware that in a city that is is, is near and dear to my heart, that I'm back at every summer, um, Chicago, that the police was starting to make preparations in the city because they were afraid of the response to the releasing of body cam footage. The body cam footage that was being released is of the fatal shooting, police shooting of a 13-year-old by the name of Adam Toledo. And so what we were told, what we were told on March 29th by the officer, by the police union, by the police department, what we were told is that this 13-year-old kid was in an alley in the city and that the officer was faced with a life threatening and deadly force situation. These are his words in which he was left with no other option. Eric Stillman is the officer's name. Eric Stillman is the officer who encountered Adam in an alley And let's assume the worst, because I read the little Twitter comments, which I shouldn't have done. He's 13. He's, let's assume the worst. He's in Chicago. He's in an alley. Maybe he's in a gang. Maybe his nickname is Little Murder. I made that up. Maybe his nickname is Little Murder would like to kill a cop. I made that up. That doesn't allow anyone, especially a police officer, to run up on this kid Tell him, quote, put your fucking hands up. And we know this now from the footage. Kid puts his hands up. Stop fucking talking to me. Kid stops talking to him. Still with his hands up. And the next thing that happens, that, that was the life and death threatening deadly force situation Mr. Stillman was faced with. The kid having his hands up. And the next thing that happens, he gets a shot right to his chest. That little boy was executed in an alley. You know what we were told when the execution happened before the body footage? That the offender had a gun in his right hand. That he came to a fence. That he looked at the officer and he looked like he was attempting to acquire a target and began to turn to face to the officer attempting to swing the gun in his direction. And that was the life-threatening deadly force situation. And of course, we now know that's just complete bullshit. And so for those of you that want to assume the worst of this 13-year-old, I will ask you a simple question. When an officer appears to threaten everyday Joe or Granny Smith on the streets, and a citizen feels like they are being put in a life-and-death situation, does that then excuse us citizens and allow for us to just blow his fucking head off? Because it just looks to me, Nick, like the farm to table version of corruption and executions of people's people in cities, in suburbs, whether it's Maryland, whether it's Chicago, whether it's An army lieutenant in North Carolina in fatigues. An army medic getting pepper sprayed. And uh, again, the officer said, you know, he he wasn't compliant. And we see from the video, yes, he didn't want to step out. You know why he didn't want to step out? Because he was afraid you were going to light his ass up. That's why he didn't want to step out. And then again, we're not even, it's not Thursday yet. And there is another one. Another one. Dante Wright. 10 minutes away from where the trial of Derek Chauvin, the gentleman, no, the asshole that killed George Floyd. We haven't even talked about how that trial is going because the bodies are literally stacking up. So for those of you not familiar, Dante Wright, who, yes, Twitter found him holding a gun. You know, he had a picture of a gun one day. He gets pulled over for having air fresheners hung on his mirror. And when he gets pulled over, He's told to stay outside of his car. And he says, I have every right to go back in my car. And he attempts to get back into his car. He was pulled over for a traffic violation related to expired registration tags, which they discovered after he was pulled over for the dangling air fresheners. He steps back in his vehicle. And I'm supposed to believe that the officer mistook the gun The taser for a gun, an officer that's got over two decades of experience and is heard yelling on the body cam video, which again, it's critical because he can't trust these motherfuckers anymore. Yelling, I just shot him. Mr. Wright drove for several blocks. He was shot multiple times, obviously struck another vehicle because he's bleeding out and he died. And the police chief wants to tell me, average Joe citizen with half a brain, it is my belief that the officer had the intention to deploy their taser, but instead shot Mr. Wright with a single bullet. They pulled him over because he had air fresheners hanging from his rear view mirror. So again, for anybody out there that wants to excuse the shootings with, he once held a gun. Why did he have expired tags? Why didn't he just comply? Why did he go back into the vehicle? Why this? Why that? Take the other side. And if it's good for the goose, maybe it's good for the gander. And I'm afraid it's headed in that direction, Nick, because I don't know unless there's some serious reform and we're starting to see signs of it in certain places, including Maryland, by the way, which, you know, just vetoed its police bill of rights. Um, And we'll talk about that another week. But um, I, I, I don't know how this doesn't escalate into a situation that is us versus them and us being the citizenry versus the police. And I hate that because, yes, I know that being a cop is a dangerous job. And yes, I know that they do a lot of good work. And yes, I come from a town where there is no law other than organized crime. And of course- I don't want that for this country because I love it. But this has to stop. It is not sustainable. Babies are literally being killed. Cops are lying about it. And the only time we find out is if there's body cam footage.
1: Well, and even when there's body cam footage, uh, oftentimes there's little accountability because uh, cops in many cases have been given uh, so much authority and immunity and protection that um there's never uh, any a lot of follow-ups certainly not a lot of criminal charges oftentimes a lot of uh desk assignments and shuffling around to other apartment uh, departments uh, reminiscent of the the shuffling around of rapist priests if i'm being uh, honest and um you forgot. Oh, I, I, the-
0: I, I got a police captain. We'll talk about in a second out of Boston as well. We'll talk about that. It wasn't just priests; it was cops too. You for- Well, well, that's a whole. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. I mean,
1: police pulling girls over for blowjobs is is a known thing. Um, Any that's a whole like another thing. It's just part of the. the
0: I'll save it for next week. <laughs> right,
1: the rotten culture, but uh, you forgot one. So that's what I was saying about it. even when there's body footage, uh, body cam footage available. Um, sometimes the, the stories don't even get a lot of coverage because there was one in, in Los Angeles that the body, uh, police shooting police shot a man and the footage mm-hmm. was released this week and the gentleman was holding a hammer. The police followed him for 15 minutes telling him to drop the hammer, shot him with rubber bullets, used less lethal means of deployment. Finally, the guy drops the hammer. He's asking for help and still ends up getting shot to death by the police. It, and there's footage of it. I mean, it just doesn't make any any logical sense why that person had to die for carrying a hammer down the street when the police had already been following him for a quarter of an hour. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And so... Um, I I wrote down a little bit of notes while you were talking. So, you know, first of all, it's not the police's job to be a judge, jury and executioner, starting with the Chicago case. Right. Um, The boy had dropped the gun. The boy had his hands in the air. He was complying. If you are complying, you do not die at the hands of police. That's like a fundamental tenet of freedom in America. Right. And so you (laughs) you can't have people being killed in the street while. Uh, they are uh, complying. And so there needs to be an utter and literal <coughs> retraining uh, of, of police departments in America. There also needs to be uh, a changing of the, the war on drugs and the authority that we give uh, police to pull people over. There is no reason uh, and that a cop should be allowed to pull someone over for having air freshener in their car. And yet, um, through uh, previous court rulings, we know that a, a, a cop can uh, subjectively pull you over, uh, citing nearly anything uh, to get, you know, to initially make contact with you, right? And so uh, that entire thing needs to change. So we limit the ways and the the frequency that that cops have to interact with people, frankly. It's, cops don't need to be interacting with people, Um Uh, all that much. And that speaks to also like uh, traffic infractions and things like we don't need armed police officers to be pulling people over for, uh, you know, burnout taillights. That's uh, like some of those easy things uh, need to change. And then you talk about um, uh, some states are starting to do things. We talked a couple of weeks ago about, you know, New York taking away the qualified immunity and Maryland has uh, taken away the Bill of Rights and Uh, You know, on a personal note, I've talked before about my brother-in-law, who I had a chance to see uh, recently because I went back to Maryland for uh, Easter and uh, we had a a nice thing. You know, we're cordial. I love uh, him and his kids. Obviously, he's my sister's husband. And, you know, the conversation came to it, you know, the Maryland taking away the Bill of Rights and. You know he's one of these you know thin blue line guys, and we get into it as we often do. You know, right at dinner, it's, and and I'm telling him because I o- <laughs> I always hold my ground, right? I don't like shy away from the argument. I come right at it, and it's like he was saying, well, he said if they take away the the uh, the cops' bill of rights, they're not going to do anything, and without missing a beat, I said. Adam, cops don't do anything now anyway. Like if you look at the statistics for solved crimes, et cetera, uh, it's abysmal. Like cops don't do anything. And so um, let's get them actually solving those crimes and off the, the beat, the stuff that I just talked about, the traffic stuff and the stupid drug stuff. Um, and then maybe cops could do something and let's stop protecting them with these uh, bills of rights and this qualified immunity, because you know what? Uh, When you when a cop knows that he can pull you over or she can pull you over uh, for anything, order you out of the car um, and uh, compliance is subjective. uh, And then once, you know, you don't get out of the car, it can escalate quickly because they perceive themselves in danger, as we've seen time and time again. Right. No matter what the danger is. And so, um, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. I think that. you know uh, the Bill of Rights thing and the and the qualified immunity is is a good place to start because when they know they have those protections and they know they can like I just said pull you over for anything um, say that you weren't complying say that they felt that they were uh, in danger then they then nothing is going to change as far as how they interact uh, with the public which has clearly become. Uh, a tenuous, uh, relationship. And if they don't have that qualified immunity and that bill of rights, maybe they think twice about pulling that trigger, um, or, or maybe they delay a second, um, and, and don't mistake that, that, uh, gun for or that taser for a gun. Right.
0: Again, just a simple question. Is one life worth more than the other? And if I am in a situation or someone is in a situation where they feel like an officer is threatening their life or they are in danger, like the army medic, the army lieutenant in North Carolina who was pulled over by cops and was told to get out and said, honestly, sir, I am afraid to get out. That's ex- those were his exact.
1: The cop said you should be.
0: I'm stuck second amendment citizen with access to a handgun. Do I wait and hope that this guy doesn't shoot me when I comply? Or do I protect my family's future by making sure I'm around? Yeah, that's crazy. And, and 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 it's a hell of a question to ask, but I tell you what, you can only do this to people so many times before people quit asking.
1: Well, you said the other week it could be uh, another hot summer, and from some of the videos I'm seeing, you know, and obviously what's happening in Chicago now, that's uh, shaping up to to certainly be the case, and so. Um, eyes on this, uh, Chauvin case, obviously sad about the, uh, continued mass shootings. Um, and, uh, the police stuff is, I think starting to go in the the right direction, not with their behavior and the frequency of these shootings we have to talk about, but as far as the public's receptiveness to, um, and, the the politicians willingness to, uh, start enacting things to make it go in the other
0: direction. It's just out of hand. I mean, we didn't even talk about Indianapolis. Um, eight people were killed. Uh, five people with gunshot wounds um, that were injured. Um, 19-year-old kid, Brandon Scott Hole went in, a former employee, and just shot up the place, you know? and uh, it, It's just getting hard to keep up. It, it's just getting hard to keep up. There's so much going on that it, it really is... Um, Tough to digest all of it. Um, I, I I will say this. You know, we 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 don't like to offer up problems without solutions, and this one is is a bit of a riddle. Um, you know, we know that police departments need to get retrained. I, I I am fully supportive of good law enforcement that does a lot of good work. I think I think the focus needs to be more on you know some of the other stuff. You know, go get the rapists, go get the sex offenders, go get you know the violent members in the community. Go dedicate all your time to that. Um, reallocate funds for traffic stops and mental health responses and all of that. Do that to train professionals that don't feel threatened every time somebody blinks. Um, And with that being said, look, New York City last year paid out $700 million to settle complaints against the New York Police Department. So when we talk about defunding the police, that is a horrible marketing slogan. But it's the citizenry getting Getting defunded. If I was in New York and I'm paying fifty percent of my taxes, or of my 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 income to taxes, and in response I got to deal with New York police cops having to pay out seven hundred million to settle claims against them. That's just the stuff they settled on. The people are getting fleeced when they're not busy getting shot. It's the money, madness. Yeah, the money
1: could be so much better spent elsewhere. Right.
0: So much better, so much better, better training, better equipment for cops, um, higher wages, more selective hiring of these officers, you know, more accountability.
1: It's exactly what I said. You know, my brother-in-law, I was saying some of these same things and my brother-in-law was saying, how are you going to pay for it? And I said, we can, sell, we can start by selling the MRAPs for crying out loud.
0: <laughs> <laughs> On a lighter note. Former governor and secretary of energy, the great state of Texas, or former governor of Texas and secretary of energy, Rick Perry, is pushing for um, the use of psychedelics to treat PTSD coming from a very conservative, um, leaning political philosophy that Mr. Perry has. I was pleasantly surprised. I know you and I talked off air about several deals um, in the space, but I thought that him coming out and saying, Hey, look, the science is actually telling us that this could be an effective and far more effective than antidepressants. Some of the other stuff that, that are the current, you know, options for, for, for vets and, 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 and officers with PTSD and P everyday people, you know, with PTSD. Um, I think it's a step in the right direction. And Oh, by the way, like we said last week, right. It's also a great, uh, revenue stream as we're starting to see across the country, but, um, I thought I, I thought that was that was that was that was a good positive story. That's my happy story for the day. I like
1: it. You know, the first study was out this week, published in the New England Journal of uh, a Medicine, uh, that was comparing uh, psilocybin to Lexapro, essentially, to uh, treat depression, and uh, outperformed the the pharmaceutical. And so, uh, the mushroom space definitely starting to gain traction. I see lots of interest from it. Uh, from the retail investment side of things and uh obviously uh, seemingly following the the same trajectory as cannabis uh right with uh, some states taking uh, early initiatives to uh, decriminalize it and now uh research being done on it in the in the medical field so um and also anecdotally uh, uh tales of a significant uh recreational use not as you would uh Imagine you know taking a dose of of mushrooms and tripping hard for a couple of hours, but you know micro dosing in the the form of uh edibles um and that's sort of what the 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 medical interest is right and so uh, yeah, it's very interesting something to keep an eye on
0: for sure a lot a lot um for those of you that sat through the whole podcast today, thank you. <laughs> that was very therapeutic. Um, and, and look, I know, you know, for my Canadian friends, my Australian friends, people from around the world, um, our, my Scottish friends, like people that listen and write in all the time. It has to sound crazy when we talk about these things week after week. Right. Um, but but you, we can't continue to ignore this and this cannot be the norm. And, you know, uh, I know that fourth turnings look like this, but I tell you what, this last week on that end, Nick has been really, 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 really trying. And, um, yeah, let's, let's do better. Everybody
1: stay busy. Stay with the ones that you love. Enjoy the nice weather. I hear it's sunny and warm in, uh, most of at least, uh, the U S and I should tell you that, um, We got some new chickens and ducks. And so when I get home today, there's four ducklings and four chicks waiting for me. I'm I'm anxious to see them.
0: Vax and wax, baby. I am Gerardo Del Real, along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This was episode 113 of Bizarro World. Thanks for listening, everybody. Say goodbye, Nick. See ya.